Welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ravi Sitabi, reporting back with an interview from the International Film Festival of Rotterdam, IFFR, where I caught up with some amazing Asian filmmakers. Enjoy! One question that I had when I was watching the film was that you start out talking about Kolkata by Louis Mal from 1969 and the deviation of what you had originally intended it to be because of the pandemic. And I just wondered, in terms of the shaping of the film, obviously starting out from this dream project of shooting your own image of Kolkata and then what the project ultimately became, how did you feel about that shift as it happened and how did it become what it became? The narrator is a fictional narrator. It's not me as, you know, as a filmmaker. It is, um, that's the experiment that I was doing with the film also. It's a, it's a fictional filmmaker. Uh, he's, his name is Chris and it's, um, it's through Chris's voice that you are, watching the film. It's uh, his vision that you are watching. And um, it's a character. And um, the film is actually a character study of Chris. Oh, okay. Sorry. I felt like there was a fictional narrative in there, but I also Mm -hmm. wasn't sure exactly where it was situated in terms of if you as a filmmaker yourself had felt frustrated in terms of what you had wanted to do. In spite yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah, my frustration um, was only about not being able to work during the pandemic. And that's the only uh, frustration that I had to deal with. And then I, I was, this is a footage that I showed a few years ago, like um, maybe four or five years ago. Then I was working with the footage. I was trying to make a documentary out of it. Then I thought, why wouldn't I try to make something more challenging, something uh, fictional uh, out of this, um, these footages? And then I started working with my partner and um, she agreed to act as Anita. So um, uh, her name is Sharon. And um, mm-hmm. Sharon and me worked together on the script. And then uh, we uh, wrote down uh, the thoughts of this character called Chris and how he would be looking at these things. And he is not a very, you know, uh, a guy with a very positive outlook or anything. And he comes out as um, someone very nasty, even towards his partner, Anita. And he takes out all this frustration on upon this um, lady. And that's um, and how that situation would have affected their relationship is the film, actually. Ah, okay, okay. That's very interesting because also the way that the story is written, now that I'm seeing it from a different perspective, knowing this information, the way the story is written towards the end, there is not a conflict resolution. Was that a very uh, conscious choice? Yes, because um, I, when I was making the film, I had to think uh, like Chris, how would he make the film? And uh, he would be justifying everything that he does or says. So, um even his, you know, even when he's being evil and he's when he's even being abusive, he finds a reason for that. And but you know, as a viewer, I'm giving you complete freedom, and I'm uh, even challenging the audience to uh, look at it objectively and uh, look 
at what risk actually is. So that was the um, experiment uh, per se, uh, you know, when you, when you are making an experimental film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you draw any inspiration from the actual pandemic and maybe people around you for this specific narrative? Because there are a lot of elements during this movie that if you would not know it was fiction, that it would come off like, oh, someone just grabbed a camera during his frustrated times in the pandemic and shot his home life. There have been a lot of divorces during the quarantines, domestic violence cases have gone up in some places. So uh, where did you draw the inspiration to draw the narrative in the way that you did? That's a very interesting question because um, I did draw inspirations from uh, many things. Um, the couples mm-hmm. that I, I was uh, connected with, I, the people I knew, and also the tension that we could see that, that was building over time when we were stuck together in the room or in, a, in the apartment for so long. So... I could see that, you know, in people around us. And so at one point, even like after making the film, I showed it to a few friends and some of them even asked each other um, that I later I came to know that some of them even asked their partner, did you go and tell everything about us to this guy? And <laughs> how did he know about the problems between us and all that? Yeah, it's a very raw film in a lot of ways, given that I think this subject matter is definitely very ripe for exploration right now in terms of what everyone is communally going through. But what I also find very interesting is the references that you ground Chris in within the film are very explicitly Western. Between Louis Mull and Kirstoff Kieslowski's camera buff, I found it very interesting in terms of thinking about this very Eurocentric gaze that mm-hmm. seems to be what Chris is applying within this context that he might be yeah. expected to have a more native understanding of. You know, as I personally, when I grew up and when I started watching films, I when I started exploring films, you know, especially the Atos films from all over the world, the first uh, few films that I watched were, you know, Kozlovsky's films. Uh, That's how I got introduced to the, you know, the whole Atos film scenario. Then as a person, I also lived in Australia for almost eight years. Um, That was a major part of my, like, um, not a major part of my life itself, but from uh, age of 21 to 29, I was in Australia. So um, my it's like a major part of my youth, uh, I would say. So um, that has formed how I look at the world. And um, I was more in touch with uh, readings, uh, books and films from the West than Indian films and books. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that has any you know influence on the um, on the references that I use and you know that. Um. No, I just wanted to ask about that because Kieslowski is one of my favorite filmmakers in general, and I just wondered about the use of those two individuals as references, given that there are so many wonderful filmmakers from various parts of Asia and the whole idea of the Western gaze is something that you introduced early on in the film. And I love that you talk about how even within 
the gaze of Chris, there is that Westerner's curiosity as well. I just found that very interesting and not necessarily something that gets acknowledged or explored. But I also wondered, where was this filmed for the most part? In an apartment in Kerala, south of India. Okay. But uh, the exteriors are shot entirely in Calcutta. That um, that was the footage that I mentioned earlier, which was mm-hmm. you know uh, we just shot a few years earlier. Then the, all the interior shots were uh, shot during the pandemic itself. Interesting. My grandparents are from Calcutta, so I'm a second generation NRI living here in Europe. But it was very interesting to see because I did recognize the exterior shots indeed were not in Kerala. It's interesting to see how, especially you mentioned very explicitly that you don't speak Bengali or no, not you. Yeah. Chris doesn't speak Bengali or Hindi. <laughs> It's an interesting choice to make him very... westernized in that way we're not westernized but not as in touch with hindi and india in such a way that he would speak all those languages or be more connected to the local culture and etc but now it makes more sense if you're saying okay well you grew up in australia or you lived a number of years there and that influenced your overall look and you imbued that into chris's story as well Yeah, and um, it might surprise you, but uh, many people in India, uh, in Kerala, don't speak Hindi at all. There is almost an aversion towards uh, learning Hindi because uh, it's almost forced upon us, and so mm. uh, so the uh, we are quite happy with the using Malayalam and English. Um, yeah, and we yeah many people refuse to learn Hindi, and also when I went to Kolkata in person. Uh, to shoot the footage, the, um, yeah, the Kolkata footage is a few, um, you know, uh, in 2015. That is, mm-hmm. um, at that time also, I found that I was not a Hindi speaker or a, a Bengali speaker. But I, mm-hmm. um, but one, uh, you know, so the gaze was quite uh, westernized. I thought after when when I look back at the footage after s- several years, um, mm-hmm. I. felt that um, you know this gaze is not very you know i'm not using many close-ups i'm not mm-hmm. going that near the people I, or you know there's a distance between and there is an objective uh, way of looking at it and i thought oh maybe it is because of my western uh, westernized training um, mm. so i wanted to add that um, a- attribute to the character also Yeah, so um, there is a little bit of me in Chris, but um, yeah. uh, it it should uh, yeah, you know uh, I. But at the same time, I wanted to establish a clear barrier of um, barrier between Chris and me uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to the out, you know the outlook on things and you know how he uh, look at his relationship, um, all those mm-hmm. things, and and I want I wanted to you know work. on this darker side of you know how darker it can get you know if you look at things in in a certain way yeah so that was the ma- major exploration um, of this film yeah well it really did come across and like ariel mentioned before it felt very raw it felt really really real up to a point that if you don't tell anyone <laughs> that it is a fictionalized story you could play it off as being a recording of an actual couple in their decline of their relationship during a pandemic it came off very real in that sense yeah that's um, exactly why i had to 
um, in the beginning of the film itself, I gave credits, um, you know, uh, to uh, you know, I specifically gave the names of uh, myself and Sharon, uh, mm-hmm. who was the co-author. I want to give the credit; otherwise, people wouldn't realize that it's a fictional film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I also love the fact that the whole movie, or most of the movie, until I think the end, where Chris and Anita really start getting at each other, they start speaking more Malayalam. But up to yeah. that point, most of it is in English, which a lot of people, I guess, don't realize is a language that's mostly spoken in India still to the state. Even when I visit my family in India. Yeah. around me most of the the people speak english no one looks up weird if i'm speaking english well because my accent maybe but <laughs> yes yeah. i i try to tone it down a little bit when i'm there to get a better deal i think that it lowers the threshold for anyone who's a non-south asian to yeah. really immerse themselves into the movie was that another conscious choice or was that something that felt natural to do because it is something that's very common in india most of the choices were not very conscious I, these things came very natural especially uh, but you know i had to be conscious about the specificity of which part of kolkata and all that because um then i when i shot the interiors i had to be i had to place it somewhere uh, because it you know it would if i had some uh, some shots, even a bit wider shots, they might show that it is not Kolkata. It would show that it is in somewhere else. It would show that you know the coconut trees and stuff outside. So I had to be very conscious about that. Other than that, you know, most of the things came natural, uh, especially dealing with people and stuff. Nice. Do you feel like in terms of what you wanted the film to get across, do you feel like audiences have been receptive to the way that you've been depicting relationships in the midst of the pandemic? Uh, in uh, relationships in general, um, we usually in uh, films from India, especially Bollywood films, they uh, depict a very romantic idea about you know, heterosexual relationships. For me, the idea is a little different. Um, so, and you know, the very nature of relationships themselves, when two people try to coexist, there's always a huge potential of um, you know going back. You know. So, but I feel that people try to look only at the positive sides all the time. So, um, this is. Um, you know, this is another take on, you know, uh, uh, romantic relationships for me. So I wanted to show another side of it. How do you feel like that's been received or is it too early yet to really feel that? Yeah, it is. I think it's still too early for that because we have had only one screening at Rotterdam so far. So, um, okay. yeah. yeah, so I'm still waiting for it. But some, uh, you know, some viewers and some writers who watch the film, uh, some critics, they understood that uh, this film is more about uh, cinema itself, like, uh, because it's um, uh, since it's shown through the first person uh, as a first person narrative. This is a film about cinema itself, so it is showing how invasive cinema can get, and you know uh, 
how it need not always tell you the truth uh, mm-hmm. even when when you are almost convinced that it is the truth that is being told to you and you have to question yourself all the time about what you are watching and on one side and on, on the other side i wanted people to think about the relationships in a different light also yeah it's interesting because your reference to camera buff makes that so explicit that it is yeah. i mean obviously the title everything is cinema but then also by specifically referencing camera buff and the idea that you're always essentially framing your life in certain ways yeah. and that issue of authorial intent is very rife within the film i think that's a very potent thing that comes out of the film for sure and mm-hmm. i think that's a very important thing to talk about as well in terms of how documentaries are framed as a whole and how exactly film happens as a medium yeah these days uh, you know when you say a documentary when when you're watching a documentary on netflix or uh, amazon prime you know that it's not you know actually documentary per se it's all you know they have written a, a proper script down and they have mm-hmm. shot it so that you would you are watching a story uh, there is a proper three act structure to it and you know they are presenting it as a documentary but it's not really a documentary so i wanted to you know go to the other end of uh, things and you know i wanted to show explicitly that i am making a fictional film that is masquerading as a documentary so mm-hmm. that was a different Sorry. Basically, you're challenging, if I'm understanding this correctly, the whole labeling of calling something a documentary. If there's so much work going into scripting and pushing someone towards a narrative while watching it. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, because then it skirts beyond the line of presenting facts um, beyond fiction. Yeah. It moves more into the realm of fictionalized storytelling. as a filmmaker i'm really interested in this in different forms of storytelling and mm-hmm. the concept of storytelling itself my previous film was also about how unreliable many stories are because that film was told through different stories and um, there is a there is a portion of truth in each stories but in general in in a, when you take it as a whole the whole um most of the stories were not uh, true or they were mm-hmm. uh, they had a hidden agenda behind them so i am interested in this whole uh, concept of uh, what is story and um how stories can be used for different purposes instead what are projects in this same vein that you would like to explore in the future do you have any plans to look at different narratives in this vein in your near future um i'm still in very early stages of developing another script so i'm not really sure where uh, where it is heading so okay. i'm not really able to comment on that so Oh well, we're looking forward to seeing what it comes out of that it would be interesting to see especially since we're still living currently and not even a post pandemic time but we're still in the in the outer edges of it I'm curious to see if that inspires you again narrative wise Right now you know we are in, right in the middle of pandemic in India you know not even like uh, it's mm-hmm. not anywhere near the post pandemic uh, Yeah so 
And those shots from the opening were pretty chilling. I would imagine things right now have to be pretty dire as they are, and documenting that would be pretty traumatic. Yeah, right now, if you go out and shoot something, you know, uh, I think it would be even more you know, drastic than what, you know, those images that was shown in the film. So uh, like the situation is, you know, the Modi government has gone much worse than what was happening during the shooting of that, that portion of the film. Uh, by then. Right now, I wouldn't even be joking about Modi anymore. Right. It's one of those things where I feel like there's so much that has changed in so little time. Yeah. I'm, you know, glad that, you know, people outside India are, are also, you know, um, seeing the true colors of the regime right now and they are, you know, it is getting exposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, how uh, badly they treated the situation, the pandemic situation in India. So many people, so many people died just because of the negligence from the government. Indeed. Well, I want to wish you every part of luck that we possibly can in terms of the fight yes. right now in India, as well as to get your future narrative projects made. I hope that we see much more of this searing kind of important truth-telling. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Ravia. Yeah, thank, thank you for your time. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye, Anne. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.